The following message is by Pastor Brandon Dyer of Windsor Christian Fellowship. For more information on our church, visit www.windsorchristianfellowship.org. Usually we have a scripture reading time now and then we sing a couple more songs and so forth. But today we're going to, because the passage that we're looking at kind of moves into communion, we're going to go ahead and do uh, the sermon first here and then we'll have communion, which usually it's reversed. But we'll go ahead and have our time of, or in the word this morning now and then we'll flow right into the Lord's table together. But um, this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 14 and really looking at one of Jesus' most famous miracles in the feeding of the 5,000. And that's found in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 13, where I'll begin reading. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about five thousand men, besides women and children. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you will bless your word through your spirit this morning. Open this text to us so that we can understand it well. We thank you for what you display about yourself within these verses, namely your compassion and your power. We pray again, Spirit, that you open these words to us. In Christ's name, amen. So last week we looked at the end of chapter 13 and we went right into the beginning of chapter 14, the first 12 verses within chapter 14. And if you remember where we we saw this man whose name was Herod the Tetrarch, and Herod was the man who you remember Jesus or who had John the Baptist beheaded. So it was John, it was Herod's birthday. I keep getting the names mixed up already. It was Herod's birthday. And so uh, for his birthday, he had his stepdaughter come in and she danced for him and all of his friends. This was really pleasing to Herod. And so what Herod decides to do is because he's so well pleased with this girl who has come to dance for him that he decides he's going to give her basically whatever she wants. And so she goes and she asks her mom, hey, what should I ask for? Herod has told me I can have whatever I want. And how does the mother respond? I want you to get me the head of John the Baptist and put it on a platter. So the girl goes back to Herod, her stepdad, and she says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And so Herod, obviously not wanting to look stupid in front of all of his friends, he goes ahead and he has John's head cut off and put onto a platter. But what's incredible is that story that we looked at last week was actually told in retrospect. 
John the Baptist has actually been beheaded for a little bit of time now. And you see in Matthew chapter 14, in the first couple of verses, that Herod heard about Jesus and all the miracles that Jesus was doing. And he actually thought that it was John the Baptist resurrected. So he hears about Jesus, all of his fame, of course, the miracles he's doing and all of that within this area of Galilee. And so the automatic assumption that Herod has is that this can't just be a new person doing this miracles. This must be John the Baptist, the guy whose head I cut off. This must be him actually resurrected. And so Jesus becomes aware of this. He becomes aware that Herod is now kind of looking for him and seeking him out. So Jesus decides that he's going to withdraw from this area of Galilee in order to get away. So Jesus gets in a boat and he crosses the Sea of Galilee. And he goes into what the text calls a desolate place or a wilderness to get away from the situation. Again, Jesus' fame has really spread at this point. The people may not have responded well to his teaching. Of course, Jesus has been going around in all these synagogues and he has been teaching and proclaiming the news about the kingdom of God. And they may not have responded well to this preaching, but of course they wanted what he could give them. They, he wanted, they, they wanted the healings. They wanted to be able to bring their sick to him and so forth. So although they did not respond well to his teaching, they certainly wanted to pursue him as one who had authority and one who could have or one who did have great power to heal. And so Jesus goes on the other side of the sea and the crowds follow him there. So verse 13 says that he went into a desolate place in order to be by himself, but the crowds followed after him. I mean, have you ever just wanted to be by yourself? I mean, you can imagine again, Jesus is just, he's famous. Everybody is kind of seeking him out. You just want to be by yourself. You imagine all of these celebrities, right? And they're constantly being pursued by these masses of people. If they're not being followed by a crowd at some sort of paparazzi trying to take pictures from a shrub. I mean, what an annoying life. But Jesus here is famous in this kind of a way, and these crowds are seeking him out, yet he wanted to just get away, to be alone. But look at how Jesus responds to the crowds. The crowds go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and they find him, and look what he says to them, or look what happens in verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them. And he healed their sick. So the first thing we see this morning is that Jesus had compassion and power. We've seen this over and over within the book of Matthew. Jesus has the compassion and the power to heal. But let me ask you a question. What is the difference between acting out of duty or obligation and acting out of compassion? A big difference there, isn't there? When you act out of duty or obligation and you do something for somebody, or you act out of compassion and you do something. But the, the, the end result might be the same. If you go to do something for somebody out of duty and obligation, it'll probably be the same result as if you had a compassionate heart. But what is the difference? It's, it's the heart, isn't it? It's what's going on within you. Man, all right, I'm obligated. I'll go ahead and do this. Or no, I have compassion for you and I will do this. The result may be the same, but getting to that result couldn't be any more different. And I love that this passage displays for us the compassion of Christ. He's not doing what he's doing out of, out of obligation. He's not going to heal these people. Oh, they're my people. They're the people of Israel and I'm an Israelite. So I guess I should go ahead and heal. No, it's not out of duty or obligation at all. It is born out of a heart of compassion for the people. 
His arm wasn't being twisted here. His disciples aren't even saying, hey, Jesus, you know, you really probably should heal all of the... Not at all. His compassion is toward these people and he decides that although he wanted to get away into a desolate place, that he will go ahead and heal them. His compassion for them moved him into action. It moved him to heal. Again, highlighting in terms of the healing, the fact that Jesus was a person of power. God in the flesh. He had the capability of of taking away leprosy. He had the capability of healing somebody who was lame or who was blind. Or remember the woman with the issue of blood. He healed all of these people. There was not one person who came to Jesus. This is so important to realize. There's not one person who comes to Jesus and says, Son of David, have mercy on me. Where Jesus is like, sorry, that's a little too big for me. I can't do that thing. Oh, you have this disease. Can't heal it. That's just out of my wheelhouse. So you, you just need to go and pray. No. There was not one person that came to Jesus who could not be healed by him. It's the power of Christ. What telling actions of him to be moved with compassion over this crowd, despite the fact that he had something he wanted to do. He wanted to get away into this desolate place. Yet selfishness did not overcome him. His personal schedule did not rule him. Instead, his compassion for people motivated his actions. And what a lesson we have to learn here from Christ. How many times have we avoided a certain person simply because they were different? How many times have we not shared the gospel? How many times have we avoided a needy person when we could have easily provided for them? How many times even a day do our selfish ambitions and our selfish desires come before the needs of other people? Our Lord was not subject to selfish, sinful desires, yet we know He was tempted in like manner in all ways that we have been tempted. And He may have been tempted to bypass these people on this day. He may have wanted to say, hey, you know what, not going to do this, going to go to my desolate place. Yet he reached out to these people and he healed them. Jesus had what he needed in order to be a good servant. He had compassion and he had power. And you know, when we reflect on this in our own lives and reflect now, when you consider this, Jesus' compassion and you consider his power, some of us may think to ourselves, well, well, I have some compassion. I, I, I like people. I enjoy people. I, I like to help people and so forth. But I, I lack the power to do it. I don't have the resources. I don't have what I need in order to serve. And that is totally false. Every member of the body of Christ has been gifted for service. You have the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Every single one of you. Every single one of you. Without reservation. You have abilities and you had gifts given to you by God to use for the service of other people. Service is not rocket science. Service is not for super Christians. It is simply having the compassion that God has given you in conjunction with the gifts that God has given you to serve his people. Do you follow the example of Christ here in his compassion and his willingness to serve others with the gifts given to you by God? The compassion and the power of Christ to heal. This is truly incredible. Yet we see next that Jesus has the compassion and the power to feed. So the day has certainly been long for Jesus. He has been spending all of his day that he didn't want to spend with people. But he goes ahead and does it. And he goes ahead and he begins to, or or he heals all the people. The evening time comes, of course. 
and it is time for the people to eat, of course. So look at verse 15 with me. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So the day had come to an end, and of course, the, the disciples, like logical people, they, did, they say, well, the, these people need to eat. They've been here all day, they haven't had anything to eat, and so they're very logical about that. I mean, wouldn't you kind of be the same? Man, we, we've been here all day long, we haven't had anything to eat. Jesus, send all of these people away to the villages so that they can go and buy something for themselves to eat. And you almost have to laugh at the response of Jesus that he gives in verse 16. They need not go away. You give them something to eat. I have no idea, but how difficult would it be to feed 5,000 men? Not talking, not factoring the women and children. 5,000 men. What would it take to feed that many? I have to imagine that disciples were kind of feeling that in that moment, right? I mean, they're looking kind of through their clothes, man, we got no food on us. Not many people have food. It, of course, turns up that they have a couple fish and a few loaves, but they had absolutely nothing. They weren't going to be able to feed 5,000 men. And if you're Jesus, you know what you're going to do, right? (laughs) You're Jesus, and you tell them, you guys go ahead and give something to eat. You know what you're going to do. You know how this is all going to play out. You know that you're going to feed all of these people, but in the meantime, he tells his disciples, you give themselves You give them something to eat. And the disciples respond to him in verse 17. And they say, we have only five loaves here and two fishes. Don't you like the way that they phrase that with the word only? Only five loaves and two fishes. So to the disciples, all of this is totally ridiculous. right? Jesus wants them to feed 5,000 men. They're looking at the loaves and fishes and saying, that ain't going to happen. It's totally silly to them. It is not going to happen. So think of it this way. This is like us. We're going to have our fellowship meal after the service. So we get the tables out, right? We all sit down. We look toward that back table that we usually put the food on. And in the middle of that table is a haddock basket. All sitting there. Did anybody bring any food, right? But all that's sitting in the middle of that table is a haddock basket. This is how ridiculous this situation looks to the disciples. We got two fish and we got a few loaves. This is not going to feed all of these people, right? A haddock basket isn't going to feed the 60 or 70 people that are in the building this morning. And the disciples are looking at the five loaves and the two fish that the Apostle John says came from a little boy. And they... Do not see how this meal could possibly feed 5,000 people. But hear this point. That where the disciples see a meal for one, Jesus sees a meal for 5,000. Where the disciples see a meal for one, Jesus sees a meal for 5,000. Some commentators estimate that there could have been fifteen to 20,000 people here on this day. I mean, we're talking about the population of Augusta, right? Population of Augusta plus people. And Jesus is going to feed all of them. Jesus tells his disciples to give him the loaves and the fishes. He tells the crowd to sit down. He blesses the food. And he begins dispensing it out to his disciples. And they start passing it out to all of the thousands and thousands of people that were here on this day. Again, 
That's like us this afternoon with that attic basket in the middle of the table. And somebody walks up to that attic basket and everybody suddenly has fries. We're passing out fries all over. Everybody's got a little piece of bread. Everybody's got pieces of fish. All of us eat. All of us are satisfied and we all take home leftovers. That's how crazy this situation is. Wouldn't you be astounded? I mean, as you see whoever it is back there dispensing, who is that person, right? It would be incredible. Jesus' miracle of feeding these people show us that he not only has the power to heal, like we saw earlier, but he has the power to create. He has the power to perpetuate. He has the power to make more of food in this situation. And if he has the power to do this, then who must he be? It must be God, right? If Jesus is able to dispense all of this food to all of these thousands of people in this manner, who must he be? He must be God. Listen to the author of Hebrews. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So who upholds the universe? Jesus does. Who has the power? Jesus does. Listen to the Apostle Paul. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So by Jesus Christ, all things were created. In Jesus Christ, all things hold together. And here he is standing before the crowds, and he is powerfully dispensing this food to the thousands. This is not a trick. Jesus is not a magician with great sleight of hand. And there's this table and he's just kind of, it's just kind of the sleight of hand. No. This is the Lord of the universe. The ruler of the laws of physics. And he is making hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of pieces of bread and fish. This should cause us to worship. This should cause us to exalt Christ. These kinds of truths should make our hearts sing. Our Lord is a Lord of actual power and actual compassion. A compassion that motivated Him to heal. A compassion that motivated Him to feed and to serve these people. This is the Lord that is yours. A compassionate and a powerful king. A king who has given everything that you need in himself. A king who is able to have compassion on you in your times of difficulty and your struggle. And a king who is able to sympathize with you. A a king who is able to protect you and to guide you and to keep you from harm. A king who, not like a politician, but a, a, a king who can make real promises and can actually deliver on every single promise that he makes to you. This is the one who takes the spiritually sick. And he makes a dead person, a spiritually sick person, come back to life. It's the one who can take the, the spiritually famished and give them spiritual bread and spiritual drink so that they will never need anything else. This is the king that we serve. So now if we just had the book of Matthew and his account here in these verses, this is really where the story would end. But kind of like Paul Harvey, there is a rest of the story that we can actually go and look at. So turn over to John chapter 6 with me. So there's a bit more of a dialogue and so forth that we can find within John's gospel. In John chapter 6, the first 14 verses, we have John's account of what happens here with the feeding of the 5,000. But I want you to see the reaction of the people beginning in verse 14. So John chapter 6 in verse 14. 
When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So basically what happens is these people come along, these crowds, they're still following after him, and they want to set Jesus up as their earthly king. So like they had in in the former days, like with having King David and King Solomon and so forth, these people wanted to take Jesus and set him up as their king. Remember, the, the Roman Empire is over this area, so the Jews are under this Roman oppression. They want that off of them, and so they're going to take Jesus, and they want to set him up as their earthly king. So they've seen his power to heal. I mean, you can imagine having this kind of king. We're in an election season, so we're going to be electing a president. Can you imagine if the president had the power to heal everybody? Everybody, I mean, healthcare is right off the table, right? Wouldn't even need it. He could heal every single person that came up to him or feeding everybody. There would be nobody who couldn't uh, feed themselves. He would be able to feed everyone. That's what kind of king that they would have had if they were able to set Jesus up as their earthly king. He was able to heal anybody and now he has proven that he could feed thousands and thousands of people who wouldn't want this kind of king right so they've seen all of this but Jesus has not come to establish a physical kingdom at this point he has come to establish a spiritual kingdom so Jesus is trying to get away from the crowds here and he retreats to the mountains and on the next day the crowds are looking all over the place for Jesus you kind of get this sense that they're really really trying to make him their king they really want to make this happened and they finally find him again on the other side of the sea the crowds pursue him to the other side of the sea and look what they begin to say in verse 25 when they found him on the other side of the sea they said to him rabbi when did you come here and jesus answered them truly truly i say to you you are seeking me not because you saw signs but because you ate your fill of the loaves Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. So in the context of this great feeding of the 5,000, within only a couple days... Jesus juts out into the significance, not of the physical feast that he had given to them, but to the spiritual feast that they need to partake of. And this is so important, that when we look at the miracles, they cannot be taken in isolation. When somebody heals somebody who is, who is leprous, or who has that blindness... That points us to the fact that Jesus can heal you of your spiritual disease and your spiritual blindness, right? So the fact that Jesus could feed 5,000 or more people with bread and fish, this points to something greater, to the fact that Jesus can spiritually feed. He says that there is a bread of God, not the manna in the wilderness, but a bread from God that is a person. And whoever this bread is, this is the person that is going to give life 
to the world. So this is going to be a significant person with a significant task of spiritually feeding the masses. And look who Jesus identifies as the bread in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He is the bread of life. Verse 47, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So you want to talk about compassion and power? The compassion and the power is found in Christ and his willingness to sacrifice himself on behalf of the masses. Where more clearly is his compassion seen than the cross? Where more is his power seen than in his death and resurrection? In the giving of his life, he would feed the many. He would feed the masses to a point where they would never need to find any kind of bread for the rest of their life. They would be spiritually fed for eternity. So Jesus famously healed many and fed the 5,000 or more on this day. And they were incredible miracles. But how much more miraculous is it to not simply provide physical sustenance, but to provide spiritual sustenance to spiritually hungry people? When you taste Jesus and you eat his flesh and you drink his blood, it is forever sustenance. You don't need to find another place to eat. You don't need to find another restaurant. This is it. When you have found Christ, you have found the final meal that you would ever need. How confident is Christ here to even declare that those who taste of me, those who taste of me as the bread of life, you will never hunger and you will have eternal Life. My friend, do you have eternal life? Have you tasted and seen this Christ? Have you feasted upon him? Or are you hungry? If you're hungry, look no further. This is where the meal is found. Like the loaves and fishes, Jesus was taken and he was broken and he was given for those who would feast upon him. This morning we have the opportunity to partake of this great communion feast. That represents what he has done. It may not seem like much. In some ways it's kind of like the haddock basket. You see that there's just a couple rings of crackers. There's a couple rings of of juice. But it's going to feed us all. In the same way Christ. He was broken. He was dispensed to all of us. This is incredible. There's incredible imagery here. And we don't believe in transubstantiation. We don't believe that. When you partake of the cracker that actual turns, actually turns into Jesus' body. Or when you drink the cup that it actually turns into Jesus' blood. But we come together partaking in this meal. A, a meal that represents Christ and what he has done on our behalf. A meal that represents what we have eternally found in him. And so as we approach the table this morning, let's take a moment now to reflect and pray as we approach. Thank you for listening to this message by Brandon Dyer, pastor of Windsor Christian Fellowship in Windsor, Maine. 
Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge them or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our church online at www.windsorchristianfellowship.org. There, you'll find sermons and other information about our church. If you have a need or would like further information, call 242-0126 or email us at wcfmaine at gmail.com. Our mailing address is Windsor Christian Fellowship, 11 Reed Road, Windsor, Maine, 04363. Windsor Christian Fellowship exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ through the evangelization of unbelievers and the edification of believers so that all might be glad in God.